Happy Father's Day. I don't expect y'all to reply to that. That's happy Father's Day. I know some of y'all in here are uh, experiencing Father's Day for the first time. You're a dad for the first time. Congratulations. That's big. That's exciting. Um, some of us have grown up with fathers that we love and that we cherish. Some of us probably have had fathers that um, you know, did not care for us, attend to us like we would hope, did not love us the way that we wanted them to love us. Um, and I am sorry for that. This morning, I hope that as we go through this passage in Scripture, that you will have um, an appreciation for a dad who loves you. A dad who's madly in love with you. Um, so, that would be good. I had a dad, a good dad. I have a good dad. Um, very kind dad. Very generous dad. A dad who, who taught me well. Yeah, he always said, why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? He said that till the day he got fired. I'm just kidding. He never said that. He is a good dad. And my dad used to tell me these stories when he would travel a lot. He would, he tend to travel quite a bit. And he would uh, tell stories of, of in hotels in New York City that usually happen in New York City. That about one or two o'clock in the morning, the fire alarm would go off and everyone in the hotel would just, you know, just down the, file down the stairs, down the stairs, and they all would end up in the street and the fire trucks would come and say that everything was okay. And then they'll tell everybody to go back in. And he would say that um, the, this is what happened to him the first time he learned from this is that everyone would go in and realize as they're all standing outside, they're in robes and their PJs. Um, a lot of them didn't grab anything. They just filed out. And then when it's time to go back to their rooms, they realize that none of them had their keys. And so the lobby would just be packed with, it was like a slumber party taking place in the lobby, just packed with a bunch of people that no makeup, hair unkept, pajamas, robes, all standing in the line at the lobby waiting to get their key. So my dad, being a thinking man, he would go to sleep at night and as he would, he would lay his pants next to the bed and he would have his hotel key in the back pocket and he would have his shirt there and when the alarm would go off, he would just put on his pants, go downstairs and then they would tell everybody to go back in the room and he would just go straight back to the, to the elevator and everyone else would be staying in the lobby. He, one night in, in New York, there was uh, something going on and three times that night, the fire alarm was pulled and he put on his pants, key in the back pocket, downstairs till it was okay to come back up and no problem, everyone else standing in. He was ready for emergencies. Always ready for an emergency. Never knew when that emergency was going to take place, but he was ready for it. And that's kind of what we're going to be learning a little bit about this morning, is that there's always an emergency in our life because we have an enemy who hates us. So there's always an emergency. The problem is, is a lot of us don't know that there's an emergency. And if you don't recognize that there's an emergency in your life, that might give you reason to wonder if you're doing anything that is causing the enemy to become frustrated, irritated with you, or you're just playing it safe. I'm not gonna tell you you're playing it safe or not playing it safe. I'm just saying, if you're not facing an emergency in your life right now, there's a good chance that you're not a threat. But we all face emergencies because we have an enemy that hates us and despises us. And this morning, we are getting to probably a passage of scripture that I'm sure has been taught 
preached uh, over and over and over again. So I don't know exactly what new information I'm going to communicate to you. And I'm not saying that to lower the bar for myself this morning. I'm not, I'm not saying that to get off easy. I'm just saying, we're, coming, we're talking about the armor, spiritual armor. And I, I'm telling you, I think we probably have heard this every way preached. And so, as a matter of fact, I brought up some light reading to show y'all. This is uh, the, Christ, the Christian in complete armor that we, I've had on my bookshelf. And so this is the nine verses right here that have been broken down into three volumes. So I don't know exactly what I'm gonna communicate this morning in a simple way that is going to communicate all. I mean, I tell you, that's just a lot of information. And I know if Dean was here, Dean would say, oh, you've preached like that before, and, um, but I'm not gonna go long today. And, I, and I'm not gonna teach on this today. So, so the question is then, how do we simplify this message? I'm gonna start with Ephesians 6, 10 through 23. I know Chad started with verses 10 through 12 last week, and I should start with 13, but to set it up, I'm gonna start with verse 10. So Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." So that you also may know how I, how I am and what I am doing. To, I'm going to butcher that wrong. That word. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that you have given it to us. You have given it to us for your glory. I thank you for your instruction. I thank you that your word comforts. I thank you that your word comforts. Lord, I pray right now, I just... just, Let's welcome you here, Father. Oh, I pray that you would just give me focus. Lord, I pray that I would not become distracted. Lord, I hope that the words that come out of my mouth are edifying, that they're glorifying. 
Lord, I pray that um, if words are not glorifying to come out of my mouth, I ask that you would just shut my lips, Father. Lord, I thank you for your grace and I thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for the joy and the privilege it is to um, walk alongside and to learn together what you have for us that you're made much of. Again, protect us this morning, protect our minds this morning, protect our hearts this morning. Pray you fill us with your spirit. Pray that hearts would be alive to you this morning. That spirits would penetrate, your spirit would penetrate our hearts and make them become alive to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, what we see in verse 10, again, I know Chad went through all this last week, but just to set it up, if there are any kids in here under the age of nine, y'all can go in the back now. <laughs> Sorry, this is really bad timing. All right, good, okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Right there, the verse schemes. Schemes of the devil. Remember, the enemy does not like us. The enemy hates us. And so the enemy is scheming against us. Schemes that this is not happenstance. He's not, he's not attacking you by chance. He knows your pressure points. He knows your weakness. He knows, and so he is going to try to come in, and he's gonna to try to attack you in those areas. He's scheming, he is scheming. And it says we wrestle, in verse 6, 12, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wrestle. So you have the enemy who's scheming, who's methodically trying to take you down, Subtly trying to take you down. And you have us, as children of God, we are wrestling. Wrestling, not as in like you would think of as uh, WWF wrestling, like someone coming off the top rope with a flying burrito and then running around the ring or anything. We're talking like hand-to-hand combat, like Greco wrestling, like just all up in each other's grill and feeling each other's sweat and heads locking together. That's the type of wrestling that we're talking about, that you have the enemy scheming against us and we're called to wrestle. We're called to wrestle. And these battles are not, or these battles aren't physical in nature, as we learn, it's, it's against the cosmic powers. And so to, to battle, to wrestle against something that is not physical, we need spiritual weapons. We need spiritual weapons. Our battle is spiritual, therefore we need spiritual weapons. And just because we use spiritual weapons doesn't mean that they're unreal or ineffective. Our spiritual weapons are very much effective. And in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we're in a spiritual battle, therefore we need spiritual weapons. And the spiritual weapons, although we can't see them, are still very much effective. So the enemy's scheming, we're told to wrestle. 
And then we go through kind of what that looks like and how can we wrestle? How do we wrestle? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's break down each one of these pieces. And I'm, I, it's easy, I'm telling you, I could go on for a long time talking about this because I love it. But we're gonna break it down for sake of time. Back then, there were three types of um, militaries broken up into three categories. You had cavalry, cavalry, horseback, chariots. So that's one, cavalry. Two, you had um, infantry. And infantry was, they were the foot soldiers. They were the ones that were in hand-to-hand combat. And then lastly, you had the projectile um, warriors. And those are the ones that could launch things at long distance. David was a projectile warrior. David could hit about anything with a stone in a sling. So you had cavalry, horseback, you had infantry on the ground, hand to hand, and then you had the projectile, which was in the air. And the way that, the, the, that Paul is sharing this and the way he explained this, he starts explaining it through that of a soldier, that we are soldiers for the Lord. And some people say that maybe he used this as language because he was tied to a soldier. And when you're in prison and you're looking for an illustration to drive home a point, you probably look around at things that you see, and lo and behold, if you're chained to a Roman guard, you probably have your illustration right there. I don't know if that's why he did it, but nonetheless, he was probably chained to a, prison, chained to a guard, and so therefore, as he begins breaking down these pieces, that he's using this as an illustration. First thing we learn is we see that it's a belt, a belt. Back then, in days of battling, the, the, the warrior would have this, this brown cloth, there was a hole cut in it, sleeves, and he would drape down, it was just like a potato sack. It was a potato sack. And, and what this belt would do, this belt would cinch the potato sack tight, keep it close to you. And then before they would go in battle, a lot of them would take the, the bottom of it and pull it up and tuck it into the belt so that there was freedom of movement. You see, without the belt on this fabric, when he would get into hand-to-hand combat, it was loose, it could get tangled up. So he, it was necessary for a warrior before going to battle to take that belt and cinch his, his tunic closely to his body. And not only did he use this belt to cinch his tunic, but this belt also usually held the sheath in which his sword was fit into. And then you have the, the breastplate. And the breastplate was made two different ways. One, it would be solid metal that they would wear in, on, on, on their front. Or they would have, it would be like fish scales. And they would have maybe 700 to 1,000 little metal pieces with little bitty holes. And they would sew it into the garment. And so when you looked at it, you would see the sun would reflect off and light would reflect off. And it looked like a bunch of fish scales just lapping over it. And the purpose of this garment, the purpose of this breastplate of righteousness is that it was used to protect against a lot of the vital organs. It was used to protect against the lungs so that you couldn't get penetrated. It was to protect your intestines. 
It was to protect your heart. So the belt is to keep everything close. The breastplate of righteousness was to protect your vital organs. And then we go to shoes. And sometimes you think shoes as being sandals. The, the Roman military had, they were equipped with some pretty fantastic shoes. And these shoes were meant to travel long distances. These shoes were comfortable. These shoes were used to protect, obviously, their feet. Some of these shoes had little metal studs in them to help them climb. These shoes were meant to go into nooks and go into crannies. These shoes told the story. Matter of fact, my Uncle Kenny, who, was, uh, who, who fought in Vietnam, he, he doesn't speak much of his Vietnam stories, but um, uh, as he's getting older, he's starting to share a little more about them. And, and one of the stories that he told recently was a, a story about his boots, about his shoes. He said that when you were issued shoes, when you left with your shoes, your number one priority was to come back with those same pair of shoes on. And he said, as you're sitting there waiting to fly out and you watch all these soldiers were coming in off a mission, you can look at their shoes and you can see their story. Their shoes told of their story. And he says that shoes were so important in battle that at one time when they were in the middle of a battle and there was a little bit of a, a dying down, he said they hadn't had showers in weeks and this water truck came by so that people could take showers. And he said he remembers stripping down except for his boots. He kept his boots on. Everything else was off. And he's taking a shower and boom, war, 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 I mean fire comes upon them. Heavy stream of fire. He's got nothing, but he's got his boots on. And he runs and jumps in the foxhole. And all night long he stays in his foxhole with nothing but his pair of boots. He understand the importance of his boots. He was not going to get his boots off. He wanted to come back with the same boots that he left. His boots were telling a story. And what we see here in the, in the military days is that their shoes, their shoes were very, very important. Extremely important. And then you have this shield. And the shield, sometimes we can... Um, you know, if you've seen Gladiator or 300 or any of these other movies, sometimes you see these little shields, like these little round shields. And then you see the giant door shields. Well, here in, in Scripture, in this, he's talking about those giant door shields. And when I say door shields, I mean, you, the giant ones, the huge ones, usually made of leather wrapped in metal, very heavy. You could hide behind it. You could take refuge behind it. And matter of fact, a lot of times in, in those fightings, a lot of soldiers would get together and create what they call the tortoise effect, where they would all gather and all hold the shield around them and above them, and they would move in unison. And so it just created this giant cover that they all took, um, I guess, I'm just, took cover in when they, were, when they were charging. It was to protect them. But here we say, it says... Um, Shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So this shield was meant to protect from the artillery. I mean from the projectiles, the artillery, the ones that were shooting stuff at you. And so what, what the enemy would do at the time is they would take this, this arrow and they would wrap it in pitch. And when they would 
before they would shoot it, they would light it on fire and they would launch it. And when that arrow would make contact with whatever it was coming in contact with, when it would hit it, a lot of these pitches, little pieces of pitch would break off and they would in turn have other little flames on them. So a lot of times that those arrows would hit something, break apart, catch other things on fire. What these people, what they would do with these shields is they would dip the shields in water before going to battle so that when the, when the dart came at them, that the fire would be extinguished. If not, if, the, if it, it would hit you, if it would hit their breastplate, if it had hit their helmet, it would break apart and they could get burned by the fiery darts. So here we are, we're given this huge shield to hide behind to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And a lot of times these, these shields were marked with some type of insignia on the front, had a marking of who they belonged to. They didn't want to attack their own people, so they would look at their shield and see who it was that was next to them or in front of them. It was their mark, it distinguished who they were. And the shields were not something that they held loosely. It was something that was tight around their forearm. They did not want to be left without this shield. This shield was their first line of defense. Therefore, it stayed with them at all times. And then we go into the helmet. And, and as I think about these helmets and as you read about these helmets, my little neck could not hold up one of these helmets. I'm just saying, I'm a, I would have to get in the weight room to, uh, to be able to hold up one of these helmets. The, the helmets were made of iron, heavy, had, you've seen in the military, they had the cheek pieces and sometimes they would have a little bit of a part that would come down here over the head. So you, just, you would see their eyes and maybe their mouth. It was, it was solid. It could withstand a blow to the head. And it was important that you had this piece of helmet because obviously it, inside the helmet there were a lot of things that were very important. It protected your mind. It protected your skull. And so it had to be heavy. It had to be, with, it had to be able to withstand a huge impact. And then the last thing is, is a sword. And a, a lot of times you think of the sword as this just giant sword that someone's like a uh, lightsaber or something. But back then, the sword that he's referring to is more of like an 18-inch to 24-inch sword, something that you could get in quick. And the swords back then were not stainless steel. The swords back then, is they had to keep up with their swords. These swords would become rusty if not used. They could become pitted if not used. And the way that they would have to get the sword ready for battle is either one, they would have to battle their counterparts and have the swords beat up on each other a little bit, have the swords hit up on each other a little bit to, to sharpen them back, or they'd put it on a stone and have to try to get it back into some type of form or shape in order to go to battle. A sword left to itself would just rust and be useless. And the sword was never, they never left the sword. The sword was always with them. When they slept, the sword was with them. They did not want to be stuck in a, in a place that they weren't aware of or, or not familiar with without their sword. And so that's how we look at it through the physical. I, I, back then when Paul was writing to, to the church of Ephesus, they understood what these pieces meant. For us today, we kind of don't know what those pieces are. They're still important. They're still very relevant today. You have a helmet that protects your head. You have a, a breastplate that protects your vital organs. You have shoes on your feet that are important. You have a belt that keeps things tied together, a shield and a sword. Still very relevant in today. Still re very relevant today. 
But we want to look at this now that we know what the physical side of it is, what, the, what it looked like through the lens of the military. What I want to do is let's look at it through the lens, obviously, of the spiritual. How does this work in our lives? First one, we see that in verse 11 and in verse 13. Verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God. In verse 13, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So right there, verse 11 and verse 13, we know that this armor is God's. This is not our armor. This is not us trying to remember to put on a helmet or put on a breastplate. This is God's armor. And what we know about put on, and the way he puts on here, it comes from the Greek word in duo, which, which means permanence. Once this armor goes on you, it doesn't come off. And so how do we get this armor? We get this armor when we become a child of God. It's called putting on Christ. This armor is the gospel. We are putting on Christ. Once you put on Christ, you do not take Christ off. Christ is on you, fixed on you, permanently on you, and that is worth celebrating. Absolutely. So the armor is God's armor. He puts it on us. It is his armor, not our armor. Verse 611, 613 also says, take up and put on the whole armor. The whole armor. It's God's armor, and we're told all of it. We would not go into battle with a shield and not a helmet. We would not go into battle with a sword and not shoes. We're called to put on the whole armor. And we're given the whole armor. But do we know that we've been given the whole armor? Do we forget that we've been given the whole armor? And matter of fact, when I was preparing for the sermon, uh, as I'm going through it, I'm thinking, so what, what piece is more important than the other? You know, surely one of these pieces has got to be more important than the other. But the reality is they're all important because they're all Christ. They're all important, and we need all of it. And the thought that we don't need all of it is foolish. It's, when I was seeing what was important, for some reason the idea of cooking a steak came to mind. Just, I know it's a little out there, but it's like you look at the steak, and, and when you get a steak, you look at the meat, and the meat becomes the hero. But you realize that without the little flame, the, the meat's raw and it's useless. You know, without the seasoning, it doesn't make it taste. Without the skillet, you can't cook it. Without teeth, you can't enjoy it. So it's more than just the steak. There's a lot more going on around it. And I think a lot of times we can look at the armor and we get so wowed by a certain piece that our attention and focus is on it and we miss everything else that we have. We miss everything else we have. We have the whole armor and we have it because of God, not because of anything that we've done. And so as I was praying about how to communicate this message in a way that didn't take three volumes, and, and I became over, I mean, I was becoming overwhelmed. First, I'm ADD, so when you sit down, and about after five minutes, I'm really just gone. I have to take small breaks, lots of small breaks. Um, but the, the thought of how do I communicate this, and, and I, was, I went for a walk or a run, I don't know what I did. But this is the word I got. This is the, what I feel like the Lord told me. Is that the enemy's coming after two things. He's coming after our hearts and he's coming after our head. 
And so as we go through this spiritual armor, those are the things I'm wanting to focus on. The heart and the head. How do we protect our hearts? How do we protect our heads? Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have been given the whole armor of God to protect our hearts and our minds. And so let's see how each piece protects our heart and our mind. First of all, in no random order, again, there's no importance here. I don't know why I'm going in this order, it's just that's how I wrote it down, so I'm going with it. The, the shield of faith. Starting with the shield of faith. First line of defense. So the evil one's lobbing accusations at us. The, 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 the evil one has schemed and has planned and knows where our weaknesses are and so begins to lob fiery darts at us. And a lot of times these fiery darts can seem a bit innocent. Just a thought here, just a thought there, whatever it may be. The question is, are we taking those thoughts captive or do we let those thoughts hit? Do we hold up the shield of faith Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. So the shield of faith, faith is grace. We have been given the shield of faith not because we deserve the shield of faith, but by grace we have been saved. Through faith, this faith, shield of faith is a gift. It is a gift. Proverbs 35, every word of God proves true, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. This shield, we get to take refuge in this shield. Genesis 15, 1, it says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Our Father is our shield. And then funny, because this morning, today's Bible uh, app, verse of the day, says, You are my refuge and my shield. Psalms 119, verse 114. Taking up the shield... It means resting in the Lord. He is our shield and we get to abide in him. The shield is a gift to us, not because we deserve it. The shield of faith is a gift to us and we get to abide in this shield. We get to take refuge in the shield. His faith is protecting us from the fiery accusations of the enemy. So we start with the shield of faith. It's a gift, we take refuge in it. Second, we look at the shoes, the gospel of peace. And a lot of times when you hear people talk about the armor, they say that a lot of it's defensive pieces, except for the sword is the offensive piece. But I see the shoes as a kind of a dual purpose piece. And, and, and here's where I mean dual purpose. We, we see that, um, that we're called to stand. In, in Ephesians 6, 11, 6, 13, and 6, 14, he says, stand against able to withstand, having done all to stand firm, and stand therefore. His shoes help us to stand firm. And these shoes, in Romans 5, 1, says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have been justified, we have peace. And so the shoes of peace that we stand firm are not peace that we have generated for ourselves. It's not a false peace. 
It's a peace that comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're able to stand firm. We're able to stand firm on this peace and in this peace. This peace protects us. But, but I said that the, the, the shoes, I think, do dual purpose. So one, we're able to stand firm because of the peace. But second, I believe that we are to go because of this peace. His peace protects us as we go into the difficult places. In John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So we have these shoes of peace, not because we deserve the peace, not because we have established peace on our own, but because of peace that we receive through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that peace allows us to stand firm as we are attacked, and that peace allows us to go. And I mentioned earlier the story of uh, Uncle Kenny. And if, we have, if, if you are a child of God in this room and you have been given the armor of God, which you have if you're a child of God, the whole armor, the question I have for you is what do your shoes look like? Uncle Kenny tells about people's boots, that the boots told a story. The boots told of where they went. And if we're called because of the peace that we have in Christ Jesus and we're called to go out and share that peace with others, do your shoes tell that story? Do your shoes tell the story of you going into the difficult places to share with others the gospel peace? My shoes are awfully clean at times. My shoes would look as if I stood idly by and watched. I want my shoes to be dirty. I want my shoes to tell a story. I want people to look at my shoes and see, not because I want something to say, good job, Tommy, but I want to see that they're being used for his glory, that I made much of Christ, that I was a good steward of the shoes that he has given me. So take inventory. Are your shoes clean? We have peace because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. And therefore, steward it well. Stand firm, but go. And then we have the belt of truth. And we're not meant just to point at truth, but we're to wear truth. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Galatians 3, 27, for as many of you, ha- as, for as, many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Christ is truth. We have Christ wrapped around us. We have truth wrapped around us. Do we go to battle knowing that we are wrapped in truth? John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. John 8, 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Remember, the the belt was used to cinch the tunic tight so that when they got into hand-to-hand combat, that the tunic would not cause them to trip or to get in the way of their battle. The question is, do we recognize that we have truth cinched close to us? Or when we go into battle, are we tripping up? The belt of truth sets us free. Freedom to, to the freedom to fight and to battle. The truth has set us free. Do we recognize that we have truth wrapped around us. And then you have the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, the Father, made him 
the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, the Son, we might become the righteousness of God. So not only did the Father impute our sin onto his Son, but he imputed on us the righteousness that he had on his Son. He imputed us with his Son's righteousness. We deserved death, we deserved separation. But we have been given the breastplate of righteousness. We have been made righteous because of his son. So this breastplate of righteousness that we have is not something that, again, we have created. This is the breastplate of righteousness given to us by God. When Christ sees us, when the Father sees us, he sees the righteousness of his son. Therefore, we are made righteous in his eyes, not because we've done anything. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah, it says, your righteousness is counted as filthy rags. There's nothing we can do to become righteous before God. But this is what the enemy likes us to do. The enemy likes us to feel unworthy. He wants us to feel unworthy. And so what we can quickly do is we can quickly try to string together a reason or a bunch of reasons of why we're worthy. And before you know it, we've created this false breastplate. Look what I've done. Look at how I've served. Look at all the things I'm doing for you. Look at the words I'm saying. And we've created this false breastplate, which is just gonna come crumbling down. Apart from Christ, we're nothing. We're in desperate need of him. He is our righteousness. And then we have the helmet of salvation. And we cannot create this helmet, and we cannot secure this helmet. This is the helmet that God has put on our head. And going back to Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This helmet is a gift of God. It's not anything we've done. I mean, you can see this common theme. As a matter of fact, in, in these, these books, he refers to the armor as grace, pieces of grace. And as we're seeing through this, the theme is that each piece we have is grace. Our feet to have peace in Christ is grace. To have truth wrapped around us is grace. To have the breastplate of righteousness is grace. The helmet of salvation, it's grace. We're not deserving of any of this. It's the gospel. All these things have been given to us freely by a loving father who wants us to be protected from the enemy. In Jonah 2.9, it says, salvation belongs to the Lord. As his people, our hope is in Christ. And to battle, we must be assured of our salvation. We can't go into battle wondering if we are saved. The enemy likes to, to, to again, that fiery dart. Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you're a child of God? What have you done to communicate that you're a child of God? You know, you need, really need to repay him for what he's done for you. And so we get into this works, this workspace to try to prove to him why we are worthy of salvation. It's, it's we get into this Jesus plus. Jesus wasn't enough, and so therefore we think it's Jesus plus what we wear. Jesus plus what we listen to. Jesus plus the words we say. 
Jesus plus the way we serve the community. We're trying to prove to him why we're worthy of salvation. But again, the helmet, grace. We've been saved by grace, through faith, not of our works, lest we should become pride, prideful and boast. And the other thing besides, I think, protecting um, the, the salvation of recognizing who we are in Christ, the helmet also protects the way we think. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. I think this is one of these areas that it's very easy for the enemy. Again, the enemy is scheming. There are probably people in this room right now that walked into church and probably looked at someone and had a negative thought about that person. For whatever reason. Maybe they just, and we look at them and go, oh, that's just so simple. That's, that's not a big deal, it's just a little thought. But remember this fiery dart that's coming at you, when it hits and it explodes and it moves out and these pieces move out, they affect everything they come in contact with. So this thought that you think is just a simple thought, if not dealt with, if not put, brought before the cross, this little dart spreads. And next thing you know, it's affected our hearts. This is taking place right now. We'd be fools to think it's not taking place. It's probably taking place with me 100 times this morning already. Because the enemy knows what he's doing. He's not silly. He's not foolish. He's seeking to whom he may devour. And so he is scheming and he's attacking. But we have all these pieces that we are defending, defending, defending. And then we're told we have the sword of the spirit. And this is what I find is interesting. Earlier in the, in the message, I was saying that the, the three forms of military back then, you had the cavalry, you had infantry, and you had projectile. What we see here is that the enemy is using a form of projectile military. The enemy is, is lobbing these fiery darts at us. But how are we to com- combat that? We're to combat that with hand-to-hand combat. So the enemy just sits there and lobs stuff at us. And what we're called to do is we're called to attack. We're called to attack. We're called not just to stand back there and just let them come and come and come. We're called to go after, to wrestle, to get dirty. Hand-to-hand combat. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here, Paul, when he speaks of the word, he usually refers in, in this book of Ephesians as logos, the written word. But here, this, in the sword of the spirit, the word of God, it's rhema. It's the spoken word. It's when you are attacked by the enemy, do you keep silent or do you come out with the word of God and speak truth? Three times when Jesus was tempted, three times the enemy came and schemed and attack Jesus. And three times Jesus says, it is written. It is written. It is written. Three times he spoke out against the enemy and the enemy's attack. 
And so when we are attacked and those darts are coming in, and you just see them, you've seen them in movies where you just see these flaming arrows just coming through the night. And we're hunkered down behind this giant shield. And we're defending against these fiery darts. We're called to go out and attack the enemy. Is that not awesome? I'm saying that's awesome. I don't, I know it doesn't sound like I said that's awesome, but that is awesome. And what it's beauty about is all this armor that we talk about, if you notice, there's not one piece of armor that goes on your back. Not one piece. Because we're told, not in James, to resist the devil and flee from him. It says resist the devil and he will flee. We're not to turn our back on the enemy and run and be afraid. We are victorious. Because of his children, we are victorious. Our fathers won the battle. Our fathers won the battle. And so why are we afraid to battle against this enemy that's already been defeated? We're afraid. We're timid. And we don't need to be. We don't need to be. When those darts come at you, we don't need to be scared of those darts. We don't need to be afraid of accusations. We don't need to worry. We don't need to become anxious. We have everything we need to defend ourselves and everything we need to go to battle. We don't need to be coward and turn our backs and run. We stand up and we fight. Question is, is is your armor ready to fight? When was the last time you inspected your armor? When was the last time you made sure that the sword of the spirit was not rusted and pitted? Has your sword, have you used it with other Christians and in, 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 in battling, not for the sake of trying to wound one another, but to sharpen your, it says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. Are we, are we sharpening our swords with one another? Do we recognize the truth that we have? Have we been listening to false doctrine? It's, it's easy. It's easy. The enemy's scheming. The enemy will put you under a, a false preacher. I pray that if I'm pre- preaching anything that's false, that, that you would not hear it. But there are plenty of false teachers out there. And so you're hearing message after message of false teaching and the truth that you have around you is not really truth. So you can't go to battle. Do you understand the breastplate that you have on? Do you understand the helmet? That those two things, your righteousness and your salvation has nothing to do with you. But when we start thinking that we do, we put on a false helmet. Or a piece together breastplate. We're not ready for battle. Take inventory. Check your tools. Make sure that you're ready. These are not yours. These are God's. And we're called to wear all of it. I've gone through six pieces. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. Six pieces. There's still one more, and which is interesting because this is the seventh piece, and then in that, the, the, the number of completion. Without taking a breath, Paul says, and take the helmet uh, and, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times. 
praying at all times. The seventh tool we have is prayer. How often do we neglect prayer? All the time. All the time. Prayer is about communication. Let me go back to a story about Uncle Kenny. When Uncle Kenny, as he was battling one, during one event, I don't know what you call it, but he was in charge of a bunch of 155s or, or protecting a bunch of 155s. 155s at that time, kind of like a tank. And these tanks would shoot about 100 pound um, artillery. And they would sh- shoot like 20 to 40 to 100 at a time. So 100 pound artillery shells that they're loading into these guns and these guns are just going off one after another. And Uncle Kenny, being a 21-year-old kid, his job was to stand around the tanks with, with a machine gun and protect any of the intruders that were gonna come in and attack the tank. But see, in order for these, tanks, these tanks to attack, in order for these tanks to launch, that you had this remote base that was underground and this remote base would communicate to the tanks where to shoot, when to shoot. They would get word on the field of, hey, you need to shoot 100 artilleries, this, this location, whatever, at this height, and then they would, in turn, communicate it to the 155s. Well, Uncle Kenny said that they were laying on the ground. He said they were just under attack. He said you could hear the whistling of metal just coming over their heads. He said if they could, if they could cut the buttons off their shirts so they could lay a little closer to the ground, they would have. 21 years old, metal just blowing over your head. And he realizes they're not returning fire. And he knows they should be because they're under attack. And so Uncle Kenny begins hearing all this yelling and screaming going on. And he realized something's wrong. And because of where he was, he knew where, the, where, the, where the, the bullets and where the bombs were coming and the artillery was coming, that something had happened. And he realized that for whatever reason, that communication has been disrupted between the two. And so Uncle Kenny got on his belly. Started looking. Found where the line was split and repaired it. And within repairing it, word got back that they were back on line and they were able to start returning fire. How often are we taking fire and our communication with our Father is severed? And we have full access to the Father. We have full access to the Father, but yet we treat Him as if he's, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. We have all these pieces and we're called to pray. And this is how we're called to pray. He tells us to pray at all times. Pray at all times. We're constantly supposed to be communing with the Father. We're, we're to pray with all prayer and supplication. Faithful prayer. Pray at all times, faithful prayer. We're to pray with all perseverance. Sorry. We need to keep alert. Pray with all perseverance. And we need to pray for all saints. When was the last time you prayed for someone that you disagreed with? When was the last time you prayed for a brother or sister that you disagreed with? Pray for all the saints. Pray all the time with all perseverance, with all supplication, and for all the saints. The reality is because all of our life is a war, and therefore we should always be praying. Let me give you a little testimony about what's happened this past week. Sorry if I go over. 
you know, when you, when you pray, when you're going to teach a sermon on spiritual warfare, I mean, on uh, the armor of God, you can rest assured that you're going to get attacked. You're going to get attacked. And, and, you know, you would think that you'd be ready for it. I would think that I would be ready for it. But I'm not, because I'm an idiot. And I wasn't ready for it. But you remember, no. So this date, I will remember this date, June 16th, 2016, last Thursday. You know, when you have a small business, those who can attest, you know, cash flow is very important. Cash flow is extremely important. You need cash flow in order to run a business. And so therefore, as a small business, you tend to do a lot of juggling to make sure that you have cash flow. And um, Rodney's smiling. He understands. So on June 16, 2016, two numbers stick out in my head. 937 and 6754. Both of those were two negative numbers in our bank account. It's a good day when you open up your bank account and you realize that you're negative in both accounts. And so the enemy begins to attack you. He begins to attack you. And, and, and I, didn't, I didn't hold up the shield of faith. I didn't take a refuge in the Lord right away. I didn't um, abide in him right away. I just began getting bombarded with darts. And there were darts that would, you know, hit your head. You start thinking, you're an idiot. How can you let this happen? You call yourself a good dad? You know? You think you should be an elder? And I start making excuses. I'm here, I'm, I'm wrestling with the enemy in my own strength, in my own power, neglecting the fact that I have this armor and I'm wrestling going, oh, I'm making up every excuse I can. I start in my mind trying to figure out, okay, how do we get money for this? How do we get money for this? And, and everything's about Tommy. Everything's about Tommy. Everything's about Tommy. And then all of a sudden it just hits me. It isn't about me. And I began to preach the truth to myself. I remember the, the belt of truth. I am not a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I've been adopted as his son. He doesn't look at me and go, shame, Tommy. You made a mistake, but I love you anyway. And so I began preaching these things. And the word of God, I began singing. And before you know it, I'm okay. Not because I've done anything, but because I recognize that I have been given the armor of God, the whole armor. And now I have peace on my feet. I trust that he's in control. Yes, I made a silly decision. Yes, I made a dumb decision. Yes, I was a poor steward of my resources. But one thing, your shoes tell a story. As Christians, we can look at our armor and we can look at certain dings in our armor and they tell a story of maybe something that's happened in the past. And at that moment, I'm looking at some dings in my armor and I'm remembering how God has brought us through time and time again. Time and time again, he has brought us through because he is faithful. He is faithful because he has saved me by his grace. Not because I've done anything. Not because I've been a good steward of money have I been saved. And I don't need to be a good steward of money in order to prove why I'm worthy of salvation. I need to be a good steward of money because he's given it to us and I want to make much of him and I want to glorify him with it. But that does not define who I am. That does not define 
who I am. And so I was able to go back and look at some dings from previous battles and realize who I am in Christ. And we had victory. And Alicia and I prayed. We cried out to the Lord and we prayed. And hopefully this will teach us how to do it better next time. But if I was to stand up here and say it wasn't going to happen again, I'd be lying. There's a good chance it's going to happen again. It might happen Monday, tomorrow. Lord willing, it doesn't. But if it does, I'll be ready for it. Lord willing. And I will have the tools to battle, Lord willing. Well, I do. I know I have the tools to battle, but I will recognize it. So my charge is you is don't fear the battle. Don't fear the battle. It's going to happen. The enemy does not like us. He is scheming how to get at us. For me, I have a fear of failing. I'm very competitive. And when you see negative numbers in your bank account, you feel like you failed. But I don't need to fear that. I haven't failed. In the grand scheme of things, I have not failed. He's victorious. I'm victorious because of him. Secondly, we're called to stand firm. We're children of God, saved by grace, imputed with his righteousness, wrapped in his truth, resting in his work. We're ready to battle. So don't be afraid of the battle. Stand firm. Don't flee. Don't flee. Don't turn your back and run. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Resist the devil with the spoken word, and he will flee. And then pray at all times. Pray at all times. The Spirit, the Spirit is interceding for us. In Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Remember, we've talked about the Spirit. The Spirit has been given to us. Jesus said, it's better that I leave that the helper comes, that the Spirit comes. It's better for me to leave so that you be filled with the Spirit. And because of the Spirit, the Spirit is interceding for us always interceding for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He's interceding for us. Communicate with your Father. One day, one day, we get to exchange these dinged, beat up pieces of armor for sweet robes of glory. We're guaranteed that. We are guaranteed that. We are, as his children, we are guaranteed that we will live with him for eternity and we will no longer have to have these battle-scarred pieces of equipment on us. That one day he's going to replace that. He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful soldier. And he's gonna wrap us with a robe of glory. And in closing, because I'm not gonna leave us right there, Paul says, and pray for me also, Paul, one of the greatest missionaries, theologians. And what does Paul say? Not only he says, pray for all the saints, always pray, he says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We should be asking one another, be praying for us. Pray for me as I boldly speak, as I boldly share about you as I boldly teach pride wants us to think that we don't need that the enemy is very good at pride 
I'm reminded of, of, of David and Goliath. You know, when, when Goliath was ready to fight David, and David come bounding down, I just, I just, for some reason I think David just like skipping down this mountain, which I know he didn't, but for some reason. You have this, this warrior, 6'9", wearing a breastplate that weighs over 100 pounds with a shield that someone else carries down for him, this is mass individual. And you have David coming, bounding down the hill with a sling. And you can see the enemy looking at David and just like laughing. And, and if, if, if Goliath was wearing this, I mean, the, that Goliath was looking at that David just laughing. And if Goliath was wearing one of these helmets, you can almost see Goliath either just like push his helmet back like, are you serious? Like just push it back just enough so that it exposes that little diamond shape right here, the kill shot that, that David was able to lodge because he's a, a projectile militant, that he was able to lodge a, a rock in his forehead. So I can see Goliath just in pride go, are you serious? And just shift that thing back. How many of us do that? We, 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 we had the helmet of salvation, but how often we get caught going, shifting it back. Pride does that. We are to call to ask one another to pray for us boldly. And then he closes, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So, that's how Paul finishes his letter to Ephesus. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Question I have for you. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want to be clothed in his gospel? Do you, do you want to not go one more second without being covered in his armor? Do you not want to take one more step unless you know that you have his peace on your feet? The righteousness on your chest, protecting your heart, the helmet of salvation on your head, the shield of faith secured to your arm, the belt of truth wrapped tightly around your waist, and with a sword of spirit, gripping. There are some people in this room right now that the Spirit is doing a work in their life and they want that. They want that. Let me tell you how you get that. And it's from Romans 10, 9 through 10. I said earlier that the enemy is after our heads and our hearts after our heads and our hearts. In Romans 10, 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The enemies after our heads and our hearts and all we have to do to be clothed in the gospel and the armor of God is to believe in our hearts that he was raised 
and to confess that he is Lord. Believe in our hearts that he is raised from the dead and confess with our mouth that he is Lord. Let's pray.